Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 4, a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. Well, it's been a long time coming. Imagine 40 years of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Talk about being ready for a change. The nation of Israel is ready. Buried in plots across the wilderness now were all but two of the members of the older generation that had been so conditioned by their Egyptian slavery that they could not walk into the freedom I was handing them. Their children are grown now, strong adults poised at the edge of the promised land, ready to leave the past behind and claim in faith that which I am promising to give them, ready to claim not just an area of land in which to settle and dwell, but to claim their unique place in history as both my children and as the agents of my rescue and restoration of all humankind. And it all starts with a pep talk. You'll recall that we tapped Joshua as Moses' protege and eventual replacement a while ago. When you've got big shoes to fill, the sooner you know you're going to have to fill them, the better. Now that Moses is gone, Joshua is going to be my right-hand man with Israel, but he's not actually going to fill Moses' sandals. Moses' place was unique in all time, both in the manner in which I spoke with and through him, and in the crazy number of roles I had him fill with regard to Israel and their relationship with me. Leader, liberator, prophet, lawgiver, commander-in-chief, judge, advocate, recalling that Moses talked me out of do-over wipeouts on multiple occasions, and then some. My law is no longer a work in progress, though. It is complete and sufficient to its multifaceted task, such as it is. Joshua will keep the law, as he urges Israel to do the same, in order to remain faithful to me. He will also lead the coming military conquest. Sure, Moses had more on his plate than Joshua, but Joshua still got plenty to deal with. And so, as we leave the wilderness wandering, Moses, and the books of law behind. The next entry in the owner's manual is named after our man, Joshua, again one of the only two adults that were around 40 years ago. The book which bears Joshua's name kicks off with that divine pep talk I promised. My servant Moses has gone the way of doornails. It's up to you to shoulder the next chapter, Joshua, and finally get these people into the land I've been promising all this time. Step straight into it, son. Cross that Jordan River and know that every place your foot falls has been given to you already. By me. I am with you just as I was with Moses, and I am not going to leave or let you down. This is a partnership, though, and you've got to be as strong and courageous as you can be. The people will be looking to you now, and your trust in me cannot waver. The most important part of your leading the people is for you to set the example of following me and my commands. Keep your feet on the path that leads straight to me, son, and you've got it made. You'll have me on your side wherever you go, 
and nothing to fear, not even fear itself. Now, before we skip over the Jordan River, let me catch you up to speed on a couple developments we skipped over ourselves in the last episode. First, you may be thinking Israel is approaching the Promised Land, uh, that cozy tri-continental intersection we mentioned before, approaching it from the southwest, since that's the direction in which Egypt lies. You'd be right if the Hebrews were marching in a straight line from Giza to Gaza. But remember, Israel has been on a 40-year walkabout over the Sinai Peninsula to the south and sundry wildernesses, so they've actually made it over to the area southeast of the Promised Land, southeast of the Dead and Salt Sea, and northeast of the Gulf of Aqaba, in the relative neighborhood in which Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole captured its modern port in that obscure little Arabian picture they made. Secondly, toward the end of their time in the wilderness, as they began to head in the general direction of the Jordan River, Israel was confronted by a couple of kings on the eastern side of the Salt Sea, Sihon of the Amorites and Og of Bashan. When asked the perfectly reasonable favor of allowing Israel to pass through his territory peacefully, Sihon instead attacked my children. Israel thwarted him with my blessing. Old Og didn't even give Israel the chance to ask for safe passage. He just came out after them on the tail of their trouncing of Sihon. But the great and powerful Og was no match for my children when my hand was with them. So there's a pretty good swath of land, that which formerly belonged to Sihon and Og, that is, that's already been conquered here, that's actually part of the promised land, but lies on the close side of the Jordan River. As a matter of fact, some tribes of Israel have already called dibs on it, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, that is, roughly half of Manasseh wants to stay on this side of the river, the others want to wait for what's behind door number two. Since the land we're bringing our children into is going to be divvied up according to tribe, this is as good a time as any for me to lay the tribal cards on the table again to keep you from having to turn back to, well, other resources to keep things straight. If you were paying attention earlier on the way, you'll remember that although Jacob had twelve sons, not all the sons have a tribal land named after them. Jacob's twelve sons, in birth order, were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. If you'd like to impress people at parties with your ability to remember all twelve names and the order in which they were born, remember this handy acrostic mnemonic. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, repentant sinners love Jehovah. Do not give animals in zoos jelly beans. There you go. You have something to work on tonight. Feel free to go back to season two if you want to remember who each of their moms was. Fast forward to our moment here with Joshua, though, and where the heck does this tribe of Manasseh in the last paragraph come from? 
Well, in case you missed it earlier, we've made a complementary substitution when it comes to the tribes of Israel. It's a little bit like the double switch in the National League, but you won't be penalized if you don't know what that means. Levi, or rather his tribe, has been tapped to serve the nation as the champions and arbiters of the faith. They will live in towns scattered throughout all the land in order to foster knowledge of and adherence to my laws and basically keep folks plugged into me. As such, they don't get a parcel of land to themselves, but rather will dwell strategically in towns throughout the other tribes' territories. So Levi's off the tribal list. Joseph is also off the list, but he's still there in a way because both his sons get a full share tribe, in part to doubly honor Joseph for his role in saving all the other tribes sprung from the loins of the brothers who'd betrayed him and left him for dead. It is Jacob himself at the end of his life in the final pages of Genesis who claims Joseph's two sons as his own, giving them equal standing with their uncles Reuben, Simeon, etc., that's in Genesis 48. Thus, Joe's boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, each get a tribe of their own, effectively replacing Levi as well as their dad, Joseph, rounding things back up to an even dozen. Back to Joshua. We've got the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh wanting to stay in the lands they've already taken from Sihon and Og which presents a problem. If those tribes just plop down and settle right away, the warriors of a quarter of the nation will take early retirement, keeping them out of the rest of the conquest of the Promised Land. After all, these were just opening skirmishes in a much larger campaign. Joshua proves himself wise in this first test. He pledges the desired land to this trio of tribes, and their people are allowed to remain on it, but only on the condition that their warriors must see the campaign through to the end. Only after all the other tribes' new digs are captured will they return back to the lands formerly known as Ogs. A good commander, Joshua sends out spies of his own to check out the land over the Jordan, especially the heavily fortified city of Jericho, to which they'll come first after they cross the river. It's not a very successful conquest if you can't take the first city you reach. Joshua's already fulfilling his role well in our partnership with him. Sure, I'm going to do the heavy lifting, but he's not just sitting back and waiting for me to do everything. He's taking steps to move things forward under the assumption that I am going to come through with what I've promised. He's not going against anything I've said, and he's not waiting for me to tell him what to do in every minor detail. Go ahead and work that whole concept into your own life circumstance while you're at it. You can even call it the Joshua Principle if you want. Of course, Joshua was one of the spies sent out by Moses so this particular sortie has heightened resonance for the new leader. He doesn't bother with sending a representative from every tribe this time. Twelve went out forty years ago, and only two brought back reports of worth. So Joshua keeps things on the stealthy side and only sends two, 
hoping they're cut from the same cloth as he and Caleb were. Now, if you've watched any of the numerous police shows that have dominated American television for decades, you know that when an investigator wants to know what's going on in a particular neighborhood, they get their information from folks that are hanging onto the bottom rung of the ladder, people who've got little to lose and need all the help they can get. Well, Joshua's unnamed spies hook up with such a resident upon their arrival in Jericho and spend the night with a prostitute named Rahab. She's got a place near the gate, right at the outer edge of the city, built into the city wall, in fact, with a window facing outside the town, a handy location for the oldest profession, and a good place for spies to slip into and out of. You may wonder what kind of information a whore could possibly have that would be of tactical use to two soldiers on reconnaissance, but Rahab's delivers some amazing goods. She's had or overheard conversations over the recent past with men from nearly every station of life, men from Jericho and men who've come to Jericho from other parts to do business. In fact, she's pretty much the perfect person to talk to about what folks are talking about. She's the closest thing to a pole you could ever find in her habitat. And what has this quick-witted prostitute heard? Well, there's not enough time to tell it all today, so you'll just have to come back next time and join us again on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. We've got a lot of wonderful ground to cover in future episodes. If you'd like to support what we do, share this with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. And feel free to give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. 15 Minutes on the Way is sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Alexander Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website art, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.